Hello, and welcome to Leading Community Colleges in California, a podcast that goes in-depth with California's most effective leaders in higher education in the largest public sector of higher education in the United States, California Community Colleges. I'm your host, Larry Galizio, President and CEO of the Community College League of California. So for this podcast, we have a a real treat. We have the leaders of the trustee board of the Community College League, Andrew Hoffman from the Los Angeles Community College District, and we have for the CEO board, Dr. Juliana Barnes from South Orange Community College District, and welcome to the podcast. Great. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Larry. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so this is exciting, uh, having both of you, not in the studio, but in the office to talk about a variety of issues. But on this podcast, what we really like to do first, if you don't mind, and I'd like to start with you, uh, Dr. Barnes, and I think we agreed, though, that we'll, we'll use first names Absolutely. to make this a little bit more casual. <laughs> but what we like to do on the podcast is ask people about their background, what led them to their position in California Community College, and also about leadership. So I'll just start there, Juliana. If, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of information about your background, where you're from, and how you moved into education as a profession and, and, and related issues there. Okay, great. Yeah, sure. So uh, again, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so I actually am, I'm a Southern Californian through and through. I was born and raised in San Diego, California, and I, you know, was raised there. I was educated there. I, um, and I pretty much spent my entire career there up until last year when I moved up to South Orange County as chancellor. And um, like a lot of our students, I have shared experiences with our students. I was the first one in my family to attend college. I came from a single parent household. You know, I grew up and didn't have a lot of money. You know, I always say we had a lot of love in our family, but not a lot of money. And, and so, you know, I had these early experiences, which at the time, of course, I didn't realize that they were related to the students that, that we serve in the California community colleges. When I initially went to college, I did not know that I was going to enter into a career in education until I became a student ambassador at the university. And I was helping students like myself, low income, first generation, primarily students of color, to help them to transition into the college and then to succeed in their first year. And that really inspired the way forward for me to enter into a lifelong career in education as a student. So we can never underestimate the the power of serving in the colleges as a student employee, right? But fast forward, Mm -hmm. uh, now I have been in higher education, it's hard to say, it's, it's been over 30 years. And of those 30 years, 24 of those years have been in the California Community Colleges. So I entered the California Community Colleges in 1999, and I... I actually entered um, into administration. And so from that time, just to kind of fast forward, I served for about 11 years as a dean, about five as a vice president um, in student services, and then about seven as a college president. And so now it's been just shy of a year as chancellor of the South Orange County Community College District. And I mentioned this earlier at another meeting, but, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, what does a chancellor do anyway? I mean, seriously, people want to know, what does a chancellor do? And I, my short answer really is I make dreams come true. And, and the way that happens is through system 
policy kind of structural kind of changes. And so I love working at, at that level, but of course, working in conjunction and in collaboration with others to, to make that happen for our students. Wonderful. And, yeah. and look forward to, to diving into a bit more about yeah. those issues. And of course, now you've added to your your roles, the both the president of the CEO board and the president or chair of the, the lead board, which is the operational board. Yes. So uh, Trustee Hoffman, I and I'm using that purposefully because one of the great debates in California community colleges is how do you properly pronounce your first name? Is it Andra or Andra? That's a great debate. I say Andra and some people say Andra. And as a matter of fact, Juliana or Juliana, and I had the same conversation about her name. <laughs> is it Juliana or is it Juliana? Andra or Andra is either Okay, but fine. you say Andra. I say Andra. Okay, so that's what that's okay. what I will say. So would you mind doing the same, just talking a bit about your background? Sure. Yeah. Thank you for having us here today. It's really it's a pleasure to be in Sacramento. So I, too, born and raised in Southern California in the Los Angeles area. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. I went to Grant High School, which happens to be right next to... LA Valley College. I also grew up in a, not a single mother household because my parents were divorced and I wound up living with my father and my stepmother, mostly because they stayed in the Valley and my mom moved to the West side. And I think Larry, didn't you, you grew up I on did. the West side. Right? I did. We're yeah. all Southern California. So we're all Southern born and raised. Californians. <laughs> I attended Grand High School, which was right next to Valley College. So lunchtime, I hung out in the cafeteria at Valley College. It was great. I grew up doing all the community services kinds of classes. My little brothers and sister also took classes at Valley College. And so Valley College was just part of my life as I was growing up and going through school. When it came time to go to college, when I graduated from high school, let me just digress a little bit. My father had given me an old Dodge van when I was in high school, like a really old Dodge van. And the thing was breaking down all the time. And by the time I graduated from high school, I had no car because it, it, we just ran it to the ground. And so I had two choices. My father said, you can take the bus to Cal State Northridge or you can walk to Valley College. So in 1980, I started at Valley College. But like many of the students that we serve, you know, I started, I never saw a counselor, I stopped, I got a job. I met a guy, I decided, well, I could just get married, why do I need to go to college? And so I kind of floundered around a little bit without actually ever completing anything. Mm -hmm. I got married, that didn't last very long, I had two kids, got divorced, and found myself with no degree. Like many of our students, we, mm -hmm. we serve a lot, of, a lot of parents, a lot of single parents. Mm -hmm. I got a job at the San Fernando Valley Girl Scout Council doing community outreach, and it was a great job. It was putting paid leadership uh, as troop leaders in the homeless shelters and the projects and the local elementary schools where there, there wasn't very many parents that were involved in their kids' lives. And it was a good job for a little while, but it really wasn't paying the bills. It was really hard to support two kids on that income. And I answered an ad in this nonprofit newsletter, Opportunity Knox, for a job at Glendale College. So that started my career in higher education. In 1997, I started out running an AmeriCorps program uh, at Glendale College. And that, you know, my trajectory in higher education 
in terms of working in higher ed took off then. It was discovered that I didn't have a college degree. So I wound up going back to school much later in life. Mm-hmm. So when I was 45, I got my, my bachelor's degree. And then two years later, I got a master's degree. And I've held numerous positions within the college. I started out running a welfare to work AmeriCorps program. And that's really when I started thinking about student equity mm-hmm. and how we approach higher education. My job was to go out and recruit women on welfare. It was during the TANF days when TANF was switching from TANF to CalWORKs. Mm -hmm. And it was also under the AmeriCorps program with community service and literacy. And so my job was to go out and recruit women who were on welfare to come to college for the first time, mostly, get a degree in early childhood education and then teach literacy to preschoolers. And for that, they were paid, you know, minimum wage for 20 hours of participation. That was the participation part, Mm -hmm. excuse me, for CalWORKs. And then they got an education award at the end so that they could go on and get a bachelor's degree. It was a really rewarding program. Um, The women that I wound up recruiting were mostly immigrants from Armenia because I worked at Glendale College. And so it was really an eye-opening experience. We had students coming that had never been to the campus before. Mm -hmm. They told stories of, you know, walking around campus before they ever had the nerve to come on campus and and even put in an application. So anyway, I've been at Glendale College ever since. Fantastic. Because I know both of you and the work that you do, it's very clear that those experiences, those formative experiences that you both just described are somewhat fresh memories and you you give back in that way and put yourself in the shoes of, of a lot of the, the students that we have. So that's wonderful. Juliana, mm-hmm. would you also mind to tell us a little bit about, you know, now you're in several leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, apart from what you shared with us already, are there other influences, be they individuals, mentors, books, philosophies, or other influences that affect your leadership style and how you approach your your various roles? Really great question. (laughs) Kind of going back to what I had shared about myself being first gen, you know, low income student, right? And really connecting with our students in that manner. The, when you talk about philosophy and the, the, the first thing that I thought about or the first person I thought about was Laura, Laura Rindon's theory of validation. And I think about that even in my role as chancellor. And that is that for both students and employees, right? For me to create experiences at our institution that validate our students and employees' social and cultural realities to create that sense of belonging and that sense of cohesion because with that, from a student perspective, that facilitates persistence. And from an employee perspective, that facilitates retention, right? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, we spend a significant amount of our time, students spend a significant amount of time in college, and then our employees spend a significant amount of time at work. And so I think to the extent that we can create these positive campus climate experiences, I think it's really important. So when you talked about mm-hmm. philosophy, for whatever reason, I immediately mm-hmm. thought of Laura Rindel. She's kind of one of my one of my heroes. So well, it makes sense. Yeah, and, and so I'm I'm sure at your district, and I think it'll most, if not all, of our districts, this recognition that if if students don't feel as if they belong, right, then they're not likely to to stay, right, and exactly. persist, and that is so important. I can't ignore that. So, yeah. Um, 
Andra, <laughs> same, you know, same question. Mentors, other influences in terms of how you approach your job at Glendale and perhaps even your role as a trustee at the Los Angeles Community College District and perhaps even how you will approach your role as the president of the trustee board of the league. Yeah, really great question. And I can't emphasize how important it is to have mentors at all levels, whether it's a formal mentoring relationship or an informal mentoring relationship. I mentioned that I had answered this ad in this newsletter and I got an interview at Glendale College. And on my interview panel, mm -hmm. there was a woman who took an interest in me. And so when I got the job, she immediately introduced herself and her name's Mona Field. And Mona Field was a political science professor at Glendale Community College. Actually, she wrote the book for many years that she taught from, mm -hmm. Cal um, California State and Local Government and Politics. Mm -hmm. And she kind of took me under her wing for whatever reason. She saw something in me. Mm -hmm. And I really would, my career trajectory would not have been the same without her mentorship. Mm -hmm. You know, she suggested going back to school. She suggested maybe teaching. So I did teach for a number of years. Mm -hmm. I, when she retired, I taught her class. In 1999, I started my job at Glendale in 97. She ran for the Board of Trustees for the Los Angeles Community College District. Oh. And she served four terms. She was 16 years on that board. Oh. And so that mentorship really, I mean, she really, truly was a mentor <laughs> in every sense yes. of the word. So she mentored me in my day job. Uh -huh. And then when she retired from the board, I, I'm sitting in her seat. I oh, ran. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I ran for her seat. But she mentored me through all, through all throughout my career. And really, I really came to rely on a lot of her advice and her wisdom. And, you know, she was very active politically. So she kind of got me a little more involved in, in politics. And I think it's really, really important. I did not choose her. She chose me. But I follow in her footsteps and I make sure every step of the way, whether it's with an employee or with students, that I'm that mentor. I want to give back mm -hmm. in the same way you know, and give somebody else what, what she actually gave to me. And I do tell students it's important for them to find someone, make that connection on campus, whether it's with a fellow student, with a professor. And it's been hard during COVID, yeah, by the way. For sure. And students have come to me. I run the Transfer Center and the Career Center and the Student Employment Center. And especially when it's time for students to get a letter of recommendation, they're moving on, they have not made connections with their with their faculty Mm -hmm. members. You know, mm -hmm. when you're on Zoom, it's really hard to have that one-on-one -on -one connection. Mm -hmm. And so they come to places on campus like the Career Center, you know, like the Transfer Center, maybe financial aid or admissions and records where there are people working to make those connections and have that mentorship. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important. Yeah. yeah. I kind of want to be piggyback because I'd be mm -hmm. remiss if I didn't mention mentorship because I know you're question was loaded, but yeah. just, you know, with regard to mentorship, I think early in my career, there weren't as many women in leadership, mm -hmm. right? But, and so two of my primary mentors over time, and to this day, you know, we're friends and colleagues. Um, one is the former president of LA Pierce College, uh, Bob Garber. And then another one is, yeah. And another one is a former faculty member from San Diego State University, Bill Pylon. He's since retired, but I keep in touch with both of them. They still mentor me. We're friends, colleagues and all of that. But I, I was so fortunate as I progressed in my career to be able, 
I don't even know that they realize that they're my mentors, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. Right. But I have learned so much from them and they have provided me with uh, so much growth and opportunity. And one is Constance Carroll from the San Diego Community College District, the former chancellor, and then the former chancellor from Grossmont-Cuyamaca Community College uh, District, Cindy Miles. Mm-hmm. And then my former president, she's now retired from uh, uh, Mesa College, and that was Pam Lester. And so just three really smart, strong, strategic leaders. And so I love what you were saying, um, Andra. And I think I think because my early experiences where it was kind of difficult to identify mentors, I'm very proactive with really either formally or informally serving as a mentor to others and really inviting others to do the same. Because I think it's so important in our system, particularly because there's a lot of turnaround and that kind of thing. Absolutely. So. I think you're fortunate in... Because you were in the San Diego area, yeah. having those three uh, women that you just yeah. mentioned, um, <laughs> I, and I think of Sunny Cook of the mm-hmm. Miracosta, right. just a, a great group of leaders right. who approach things differently but are so effective yeah. right. and, and wonderful. And they've also, I, I could say, just from a, from my perspective, even though I have an XY chromosome, uh, they've been <laughs> huge, not just supportive of what we try to do at a statewide level in mm-hmm. addition to what they did right. the, at the local level, but just, you know, mentors and, and, and being able to learn from them has been a, one of the highlights, certainly of, of what I've been able to, mm-hmm. to do here. And both of you remind me there's, there's just, I think, greater recognition, and I know every district is working on this, is, again, that sense of belongingness and trying mm-hmm. to so-called meet students where they are, but it is so essential because it's so easy to get lost, especially mm-hmm. in this day and age. Uh, and like, as you said, uh, Andrew, with the pandemic, mm-hmm. and I, I just want to give a plug for a book that I received no financial gain for this, but just the best book I've ever read about college. It's called How College Works. It was written probably 10, 15 years ago. And researchers, and I'm going to completely simplify it, but they come to the conclusion just how essential it reinforces what you just talked about. Just a student connecting with somebody. Mm-hmm. It could be the person who works in the cafeteria. It could be a faculty member. Yeah. It could be the president. It could be a trustee. That has tremendous implications for persistence for what people do. And so I know we have this caring campus movement at several of our districts, which is taking advantage of the importance of our classified professionals and, mm-hmm. and really everybody to create an environment that is more welcoming. So. Yeah. And I think also even going back to books too, you reminded me of a, a book that we recently read. Um, one of my colleges, um, Irvine Valley College, read it and had Dr. Tia Brown McNair come as a keynote. And so becoming a student-ready college, to your point, it's really taking institutional responsibility for student learning and accepting students and embracing students where they are. They come to us prepared as they are. And it's up to us to be sure that we're designing our institutions accordingly, whether it's the climate, whether it's in the classroom or outside of the classroom. And you're reminding me of an early experience I had in college in my very first year of college where I washed dishes Mm -hmm. and got free meals in the cafeteria. And I loved that. I had three jobs. That was my favorite job. And I proudly washed those dishes because, you know, I got the free meals. But the other, you know, maybe unintended consequence was that that's where I found my sense of belonging in the cafeteria with the people who work there, to your point. And Uh in my mind, as I started to really progress in my career, I thought a student shouldn't have to be in a 
pocket of campus to have a sense of belonging. It should mm-hmm. be per- pervasive. Mm-hmm. So I love what you said about yeah. about that. Yeah. So, um, Andrea, uh, so today we let everybody know we just left the consultation council meeting when we're recording this, and it was the first consultation council meeting where relatively newly installed Chancellor Sonia Christian was, was presiding. And I just to ask you, what, what was your impression of the meeting and anything that you would like to say about what your hopes are for working with her and, and, and really any, just your impressions? So first of all, I, her vision aligns with what my vision has been for the last 27 years. So I, I felt really excited when we ended the meeting. I felt really encouraged. I have a lot of hope for the future. And everything she mentioned from the vision for success goals, the governor's roadmap, dual enrollment, adult education, the baccalaureate degrees. I mean, I made some notes for today and mm-hmm. literally if, if I show you, like I did not make these mo- notes at the meeting. It was literally everything that she went through. Wow. So I'm really excited about her vision. Her work has been really life changing for many of our students, the work that she did at Bakersfield college. Mm-hmm. And I was really encouraged and excited. And I feel like we are going to be partners in that vision for the benefit of not only our students, but for the entire state of California. And I loved what Chancellor Christian said about going out and getting the students. You know, we are very, here we are, you know, come and enroll in our colleges. And we, we have such a focus on enrollment and making sure students come to us. But to actually go out and meet students where they are, bring students the education that they're needing. Recently, we had something come to the board in L.A., for a center in Pacoima, if anybody knows mm-hmm. the Northeast San Fernando Valley. So Mission College is in the Northeast San Fernando Valley. And the community of Pacoima has a lot of underemployed, mm-hmm. uneducated folks that will not leave that community mm-hmm. to go to a college, you know, even if it's 10 or 15 minutes away. So we're thinking about bringing some job training, ESL classes, training in the allied health fields to that community, which, you know, we've got some money. We have an earmark from Tony Cardenas in Congress, and we have some other funding, but it really resonated with me when Dr. Christian talked about, let's bring education to the students who are there waiting for it, rather than waiting for them to come to us. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited about her vision. I'm excited that she's all in with the bachelor degrees. Mm-hmm. We have one of them currently through the pilot project originally at West LA College in dental hygiene. And we just graduated, I think, 68 students this wow, just two weeks ago, Fantastic. which is really amazing. That's- yeah. And that's our fifth cohort. So we're excited about that. And we're bringing in three more, two that have been approved and one that we're waiting for. So everything that she talked about today got me excited. <laughs> Dual enrollment. Dr. Christian has an idea of enrolling every single ninth grader in a college course. I mean, I think that's phenomenal to expose every kid in California to higher education because, you know, we're very privileged. We live in L.A. We've got nine community colleges in the L.A. Community College District. But there are people living in rural areas that even know that college is an option for them. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was very exciting. I was really encouraged after today's meeting. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Same I would, uh, yeah, I would echo what you were saying. I, the term that I, I thought about was just energized. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And obviously, Andrea, you and I had met with her and, and got a little peekaboo look at, you know, what some of her priorities might be. So today I was like, just to see it in print and have, having the discussion with everyone was fabulous. 
I really love the way she takes the vision for success and the governor's roadmap and as doing some alignment between those two bodies mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. developing the roadmap for 2030 and then using that as the beacon to align resources mm-hmm. and operations and policy and that type of thing. I also, you know what, I walked away actually when we first met with her and, and today as well, I, I a lot of kind of her style of leadership and her vision uh, just really resonates for me. And I, I see her as being very participatory, very collaborative, very strategic, and very intentional. And, you know, and, and I think those principles have to be there as we move forward. And, and she sees it, that we have to, she has to be collaborative. It's, a, it's an imperative for us to all work together. And she, she sees that in order to do the good work that we need to do together to, to advance the, the California community colleges. And so, again, I was, I was very excited and very energized by her agenda. And frankly, she does all of this with DEIA as the watermark, mm-hmm. which I love. And so, it's, so DEIA is really threaded throughout her priorities, which, which I really appreciate. Fantastic. Fantastic. And, and I hope uh, listeners have had a chance to listen to the podcast that we recorded with Chancellor Christian a couple of weeks ago. So that, that is very exciting. So let me ask about some of the challenges that the colleges and all of us confront. Andres, just start with you. What, what do you perceive from your perspective in Los Angeles and right statewide, because you're in touch with a lot of your trustee colleagues and, and others, what do you see as some of the most significant challenges and I know I, I should also say opportunities, but whether they be short-term, immediate, medium, or, or, or longer-term, what do you think is important for us to be thinking about? I mean, the, the obvious and biggest challenge is, for students anyway, are, are meeting basic needs. The cost of living, especially in Los Angeles, is yes. outrageous. You know, we still have students that are hungry, that are homeless, or they're couch surfing, they're really struggling with just meeting their basic needs and they want to come to school, right. but they can't often enroll in a full-time program. So we really need to look at the challenges that our students are facing and figure out how can we deliver high quality education and get programming to them without this demand around being full-time. I mean, that's just my opinion mm-hmm. because they have other demands on their lives. They need to work. Many of our students, I think 30% in LA have kids or dependents. And so I, I feel like we have not solved the basic needs issue, food, housing, transportation. Transportation is a big one too. Um, so that's, that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is how do we bring students back physically to campus? And should that be a priority? How are we going to really meet those students who need to come to campus, who want to come to campus, but also be able to serve the students that still want to learn in a remote environment. And what we're seeing is even if students take classes remotely, they're longing for some kind of a connection. Like I mentioned earlier when mm-hmm. we were first asking me, they're, they're longing for some kind of a connection with the college and with the campus and with the community. So I think those are, those are challenges right now. I know many of us are thinking about housing, whether we build housing or have housing partnerships in LACCD. We have housing partnerships right now. So we actually work with nonprofit organizations and we subsidize the cost of students to be able to live in housing while they're in 
classes with us, but that's not a sustainable long-term solution. Do we build housing? And we're thinking about it. We just passed a $5.2 billion bond. And in that bond, there was some money set aside for housing. With housing comes new challenges. Yeah, Juliana, same question. <laughs> I, I was like, same okay, <laughs> you, you pointed all my bullets. But just to, just to expand upon that, you know, obviously enrollment is top of mind for many of us. When I look at enrollment, to kind of rephrase it, which I believe is more the love language of our, of our staff and our faculty, and that's equitable access and equitable success. And so I think we were continuing to look at more creative and intentional ways to tackle this enrollment issue. I really love going back to our new chancellor, Chancellor Christian. I really love that she is, she starts with the data. She's very data informed. Mm -hmm. She's asking questions about the data and then using that data to inform decisions. And so Again, so enrollment is definitely a top of mind for all of us. And then I, you know, again, just piggybacking on what you said, the student kind of non-academic needs and primarily our students who have food and housing insecurities is a, is a big issue. And, you know, the reality is we know that there's not enough money right now to construct housing at all of our campuses. And so I think we're going to be continue to be challenged to identify other ways in which we could help to support students who have housing insecurities. I know that's a, that's a big topic and a big effort at my own, in my own district. And the other piece of it to piggyback on what Andrew was, was talking about, um, you know, we're here, we are emerging. I don't even know if we're really out, out of the pandemic, but are, are we post pandemic? But the reality is we have an opportunity to be very intentional about reimagining the post pandemic future of our, of our, of our colleges in our, in our district. What we do know is that students have told us they've changed. Our employees have told us that they've changed and the world has changed. So folks, you know, have said loud and clear that going back to who we were before is not an option. And I know we overuse this whole phrase on new normal, but what is our new normal? Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I, I would say I'm sure that we have room to focus more so on what that looks like and being really intentional about it. Because I think I think we're making decisions about instruction and support services and building design and remote work uh, without having the information and the data that we need to really uh, be focused in that area. So I, I, I think that that's a big challenge, but I also think it's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Right. It is. It's a certainly a fascinating time, but yeah. very challenging time. And yeah. I'll editorialize by saying while we're trying to figure out how to how to proceed the most effective way, considering all the different circumstances that people's lives face, that institutions of higher education at all levels face. Yeah. Uh, we have some laws and regulations from a completely mm. different era, and that, that poses a, an additional challenge. And I'm really hoping that the League and, and others can help find this, find a way to, to move forward so we are recognizing empirical reality, not what happened um, 62 years ago uh, or 63 years ago, the Master Plan for Higher Education. Okay, that all off my soapbox. I was going to say, and some of the positive, you know, we talked about the, the challenges, yeah. but the positive things, we yeah. forget we have College Promise. College Promise, any student who wants to go full time can go for free for two years. And so that's a good thing. Yes. Uh, our College Promise programs in LA have grown. You know, we're up in our College Promise numbers. I don't Wonderful. know what they look like statewide. Dual enrollment students, you know, the numbers. Statewide aren't great, but in LA, we're up 15% for, for dual enrollment students. So Wonderful. families and schools and kids are seeing the value in taking some college classes. Yeah. And then the short-term training 
job training certificates, we're up in those too. So there are some, there are some good things happening, but we do need to make some regulatory changes. I agree. I agree 100% with that. And then also one of the points that I think Chancellor Christian has made quite well, and we will be hearing a lot about this, is aligned with the governor's vision and the vision, quite frankly, I think for anybody who follows science is uh, how do California community colleges support a, a greener economy, right? Green jobs, because you need scientists to construct different structures, and, and but you also need individuals who can repair charging stations or people. So there are so many opportunities as we transition to a greener economy for California community colleges play a huge role in the, you know, quote, greener workforce. And she also talked about that. And I, I think I know your, Andrea, your district had a $5 million grant and you have a, uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact name, but it's a climate. The California Center for Climate Change and it's housed at West LA College, but it's for all nine community colleges. It allows us to build curriculum that's interdisciplinary. So it's mm -hmm. not just science. You know, it's, it's woven into political science classes. It's about climate and environmental justice. And then it's about all of the other things that you just mentioned, you know, green jobs. And we have a really cool auto mechanic station program at Pierce College, but it's not the old like auto mechanics of back in the day. Yeah. This is like highly computerized. They're working on Teslas. It's it's the most amazing. If you haven't seen it, I invite anyone who wants to come and look. It's it's the most amazing program and it's all to address the green economy. Right. And think yeah. about those jobs for some time will be, I'm sure, well paid yeah. and in demand jobs. And so that's that's also very exciting. So we're we're coming Toward the end here, I, my final question would be, you know, is there anything else that you, you'd like to add that we didn't get to talk about? But, but before that, uh, one question. So, uh, Juliana, so mm -hmm. you will be mm -hmm. <laughs> for this, you know, this academic year, the president of the what we call the CEO board, right? Mm -hmm. and for those of you who don't know, it's the uh, superintendent presidents, college presidents and chancellors. It's our 15 member board. And you're going to be the president of that board. Mm -hmm. uh, would you talk a little bit about perhaps your your agenda or what do you hope that we can accomplish, you can accomplish at the, the CEO board with your presidential and chancellor colleagues? Yeah, I think a, a couple things. One of the roles of our board is to work in collaboration with the league, of course, and with the chancellor's office to and identify those key priority areas from a legislative perspective and from an advocacy mm -hmm. perspective. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think to get there, I, I, I think it's really important. Now, let me, let me backtrack sure. and, and, and share that what we know to be true is a, is a good proportion. I think a quarter or maybe even a third of our, of our college presidents and CEOs are either interim or new. Nice. So we have a lot of a lot of new folks out there. And so one of my priorities is to be very intentional about ensuring that those new voices, mm -hmm. including our seasoned voices, are at the table in setting kind of our priorities. And so that's a that's a that's a really big thing, again, particularly because there's such a big turnover. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's one of them. And then relate it to that, since we do have a, a large group of new CEOs and presidents, I think it's important, again, to really have focused professional learning opportunities 
for them. And again, even for the season CEOs, and I know we have CEO webinars, we have the league trainings and the league conferences. So we're really being focused and intentional around that as well. Again, aligned with what the league is also trying to do, just strengthening partnerships with the key entities, right? I think if there's strength in numbers, there's a lot happening out there. And I think that we really have an opportunity. And again, I'm being, I'm inspired right now by, by Chancellor Christian and just kind of echoing what she's saying. We just really, there's power in numbers. So the, to the extent that we could really strengthen our partnerships and collaborations with one another, I think we could, we can go really far. And obviously there's a lot, you know, there's been a lot of policy that we're all acquiescing to or we're, you know, moving forward <laughs> with. So I think, you know, helping to kind of tease that out and understand what, where some of the challenges and opportunities are with, um, implementing right now, I think that's going to be important to hear the CEO voice and help them to move forward with that as well. Andrea, same, same question. So you're leading the, the trustee board, the 21-member trustee board, which includes one student trustee. What's on your agenda and what do you hope to accomplish uh, during your year of, of leadership in that role? Yeah, thank you for that question. So first of all, I am really honored to be able to serve in this role. And I was elected by my peers on that board. And mm-hmm. I'm in my third term on the league board. So I'm excited that this is happening now. I think past president Adrian Gray really spearheaded the DEIA work. And we were putting on regular DEIA webinars. And I hope to continue that because I think that's really important for trustees and for CEOs and for anybody who actually wants to learn. I think local control is really important. You know, we are locally elected boards, but I think it's really important that we make sure everybody understands that we are elected by our communities. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we want, we want it to stay that way. And we want to make sure that we still have, we maintain local control because I think there are, you know, the communities in Northern California are very different than the community college districts in Southern California or in the LA area. And it's really important that we're able to serve our communities in the way that we know best Mm -hmm. as local elected officials. Mm -hmm. The other thing is doing more work around advocacy and advocating for the things that we think are important. You know, the bachelor's degree for one, that's really important. I think we all need to be on the same page. I think we need to make sure that all trustees in the state understand, you know, the importance and the position that we are in and maybe engaging trustees that are not necessarily on our trustee board. And, you know, we talk about this, but I hope we can do a better job of reaching out to our colleagues who are not in a leadership role on a statewide board, but they are leaders on their own boards and try to engage them more in our advocacy efforts. I Mm -hmm. think that would be really important. And then something that's near and dear to my heart, you know, we're losing CEOs either because they're retiring Mm -hmm. or they're looking elsewhere for jobs. Being a college president, superintendent president, chancellor, these jobs are very difficult jobs. And we need to do a much better job of educating our trustees. We have a lot of new trustees Mm -hmm. in educating our trustees in their role and how to better support their leader. Because really, the CEO, the superintendent, the chancellor, has play, they play a very critical role in our system. And when they get frustrated because you have a board that might not have had the training, you know, people run for a variety of reasons, but we need to make sure that new trustees are oriented and being trained and understand, you know, the role of the CEO versus the role of the trustee versus the role of the faculty and the staff, you know, at all. 
yeah. trickles down. Uh, I know the chancellor's office is wanting to play a role in, you know, educating trustees about what their role is in the state. But I think it's up incumbent upon us to make sure that trustees understand their role. And I know that we do a pretty good job at some of our conferences, but we should probably brainstorm about how we can do a better job in educating trustees that don't necessarily come to our conferences. Mm-hmm. But yep. I think it's really important. As I sit here with my I know. colleague, Juliana, shaking her head, um, I'm very fortunate that I have an amazing chancellor, so I have to give him a plug, Chancellor Francisco Rodriguez, who's done a wonderful job. I think he's our longest serving chancellor mm-hmm. in the LA Community College District, but we really are partners in this and you know, making other trustees understand that it's a partnership if we want to move forward for the benefit of our students. Yeah, and I'm so glad you, you said that. I don't know that, I don't believe we've had Chancellor Rodriguez as a guest, mm. uh, and so... Oh, okay. Which is, that's crazy. So yeah, he's he's a remarkable man. And he's in it for all the right reasons and just is wonderful. Yeah, can, can I can piggyback on yeah. something you mentioned. I love what you just said about, you know, the trustees working to support CEOs, of course, in my, mm-hmm. in my yeah. role. And it was interesting. I read an article um, when I first took on the chancellor position and I shared the article with my trustees are just some highlights. And it basically said there's three reasons why CEOs typically leave. And one is they, they find another job. Two, it's because they get pushed out. And then three, it's because they, re- they retire, happily retire. And I said, I, I want to be in the latter group, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, but it's a, like you said, it's a, it's a tough role. But the more that trustees and CEOs could, could work together, I think it, that's important. And interestingly, Andra and I actually talked about really kind of joining forces and making sure that we're collaborating and really aligning our priorities as we, as we take on these, on these lead goals of our boards. Yes, that's yeah. wonderful. Right. And that will only help. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think California is particularly challenging for chancellors, superintendent presidents, and college presidents. Uh, the environment for uh, just a multiplicity of reasons. Yeah. Uh, just it's a very challenging place. Uh, again, lots of opportunities, and I would argue that we're the most important uh, system, if mm-hmm. we can use that word, of community colleges in the in the country. Yeah. Uh, still, it is very challenging. So, um, is there anything else that you you wanted to say as just sort of parting thoughts? Uh, Oh, just uh, again, I think just today, again, having had consultation council and hearing from the various constituent groups, including, you know, Chancellor Christian, just sitting here with you, Dr. Galizio, as well, and sitting here with lovely Andra, I'm just very excited and honored to step into this role. And I really, truly do look forward to working with everyone and joining forces and doing what we can to support our system. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with everything uh, that you just said, Juliana. It's it's kind of nice to be up here doing this, in, you know, right after a consultation. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it's really warm and fuzzy. And I want to say, you know, we have really amazing, talented faculty, staff, mm-hmm. administrators on all of our campuses mm-hmm. up and down the state. You know, you think, why wouldn't students, you mm-hmm. know, want to come to us? Really. We educate early childhood educators. We educate mm-hmm. and train firefighters and EMT and, you know, scientists. And we do all kinds of great work. And I would think anybody and everybody would want to come through our doors. But um, I feel inspired. During the pandemic, I, I think we all sort of hit a low point. Of mm-hmm. How are we sure. going to reinvent ourselves? How mm-hmm. are we going to bring students back? What are we doing? Um, but I'm, I'm really encouraged today. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm Wonderful. excited.
So Andra, President Hoffman, uh, Juliana, President Barnes, thank you both so much for spending time with us and look Thanks. forward to our continuing the work and onward. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us for the next Leading Community Colleges in California podcast for more inspiring conversations with California community college leaders on their own professional and personal journeys and on the most significant and challenging issues confronting leaders in higher education today.